Hello, everybody. Welcome to Resourceful Humans. I am your host, Corey Haver, and today I have with me Mahen and Jennifer. Both together have 30 plus years of experience in the recruiting and talent acquisition department of HR, and they are both very excellent at what they do. They can, they're going to give us the internal and external uh, perspectives today and give us some tips on that job seeking and recruiting area. So thanks for both of you coming on. I'm, I'm so happy and excited to have you. Uh, thanks for asking. Yeah, thank, thanks for having us. <laughs> so I, I want to jump right in and just kind of hear about what you feel right now because of the pandemic. What are the biggest challenges that are happening to job seekers? Um, go ahead, Mahan. Yeah, you know, yeah, because I'm in I'm in the market now. I, I can say that that you know the challenges are, are are you know there's a lot of folks out there right now. Um, you're not the only one. I think that's something that that when you're looking for a role, you want to keep it in mind. I, I think that, that the challenges are. So many companies are dealing with uncertainty. You know, we're going into an election cycle, uh, or I should say the tail end of one, right? Because it's, it's coming in a couple of months. I think also, you know, the economy itself and how it's impacted. And, and there's a lot of concern around, you know, hiring talent acquisition people, uh, you know, especially because it, it's, are there, the, are there roles that, that are going to require someone to come in and, and, and you know, you know, be a professional, right? Um, those companies are really assessing whether they need to bring in those individuals, whether, you know, based on the needs that they have. I mean, I think those are the big challenges right now. There's, there's challenges, there's mishaps um, of everything that's going on. You, I, I keep getting it on a continuous basis. What do I do? How do I make myself stand out? What do I bring to the table that's different? And as the outside recruiter, it is for me is to make sure that they understand who they are first and foremost, and that their confidence is as strong as possible, and that they forecast their value on a resume. And it's important that I make sure when I'm working with individuals that they have all of those steps and they understand what they're going up against and what's going to make them different from other people. Yeah, and, and I think that, um, you know, the big things when, when, when you think about sort of going out there in the market, you know, you know it, it's leveraging your network. I think now more than ever, um, you know, you, you have to leverage the folks that you know. Um, each position is extremely competitive just given what's going on. And, and you know, so it, it's reaching out to people within your network, sort of finding that secondary network through the people you're connected with, maintaining those connections too. It's not just reaching out to someone and then not following up. But, it, you know, also I think what's helpful is, is how do you, how can you help someone who's helping you? Um, you know, it's, you know, that comes to consistency, staying, continuing to stay contacted or connected. And, and then also just patience and staying positive. I think we're all going through it. Um, I know that's been a challenge for myself, right, is, is just remembering, hey, I'm not the only one. And, and, and a lot of people I talk to who I've been networking with have said the same thing. Hey, you know, Mahen, you're not the only one going through this. Um, and I have a, a hopeful success story. Um, old, old high school um, friend of mine has reached out to me for the last couple of weeks, and he has gone for the first time in his life five months without a job. 
Wow. He's going stir crazy. He sent me his resume and I said, well, here's the first problem we have. And then, <laughs> then I helped him with his interviewing technique because he was so wound up and full of energy that he had to learn how to slow it down. And then lastly, and Mahin, you actually said this perfectly, is the follow-up. He didn't realize, and this is a cue for everybody who's looking out there, you're allowed to follow up with people. You know, you had an interview with Sally Sue, and Sally said, oh, you'll hear from me with one or two weeks. Well, if you haven't heard from her within that week time period, reach out. It's okay. Let them know that you're actually that type of person, that I'm not going to sit back and just, you know, be complacent and just watch and wait and wait, that when you hire me, I'm going to be this kind of individual. I'm going to take it, and I'm going to run with it, and I'm going to follow up with you because that's who I am. And if you have a company that doesn't appreciate it, then you don't really want to go to work for that company. Jennifer. So there's a lot of different things that people should be doing that I think they feel like they need permission to do. Yeah. And you don't need permission. You need to be yourself and follow up and characterize yourself. That's going to differentiate you from everybody else. Because as everybody knows, you're all looking for work right now. Mm-hmm. What's right. going to set you apart? I have a question for you, Jennifer and Mahan. So right now, because everything is so much more virtual than it's ever been, I do feel like a lot of people aren't doing enough reach outs and they're almost hiding behind their computer because it's become so easy to submit your resume to hundreds of employers at one time and then they forget who they've submitted it or they just feel like they shouldn't reach out because it's not polite. Some of them feel like it's not, they, sh- they should just wait. Do you feel like the person that does that reach out, it can sometimes make or break the decision on if they're trying to decide between them and another few people for a position? hundred percent, but you want it to. Exactly. You really want to make that difference. You know, and if it's going to be between, if it's going to be between John or Joe, and John's the one who steps out of the box and said, remember me, we spoke a week ago, this is what I can offer you. And Joe's the one who's sitting back going, well, you said you were going to follow up with me, so I'm just going to wait till you follow up with me. Who are you going to more apt to actually hire? Exactly. You're right. And I think also just from, from the internal recruiter side, which is where I came from, you know, if somebody's leveraging their network, if somebody's reaching out to different people within the firm, and that person is coming to me as the recruiter, or they're able to, to you know, name drop that individual, I can go back and, and just, you know, you could do almost a soft reference with that individual. Hey, listen, I spoke with Jennifer uh, on the phone, you know, and she mentioned that, that you, you know, you referred her. What do you think about, you know, what do you think about her? Can she do the job? Here's what we're thinking. You know, those internal referrals are so strong. And, and so uh-huh. if you're able to get those, you know, that's another way that you're going to differentiate yourself, especially when you think about a time like this and for every job, there's probably, you know, 200, 300 applicants. Yeah. Um, not all of them, you know, are going to be relevant to the role, but what's important, you know, I think there's a lot of them that are going to be very close to each other. And so the ones that have those connections are going to stand out and they're going to right. be, um, they're going to be top of mind, especially when somebody, you know, a senior business line manager or, um, you know, someone who you respect internally comes to you and says, you know, hey, you should look at this person. It's a wonderful feeling. I have more and more people who are coming up to me and say, hey, I you know, applied at ABC. Do you know anybody there? And I'll look and I'm like, oh, I actually know three people there. What are you looking for? And if I really 
really like them and I've worked with them before and I've actually interviewed them and I spent time with them. It is so much fun to get on that phone or send a quick email or LinkedIn message to Sally Sue and say, hey, you've got John Smith over here that you're about to interview. I'd give a thumbs up and you're completely nuts if you don't consider him and push him as fast forward as you possibly can. And it's kind of fun because I get so many different remarks. I didn't realize you did that for me. And I said, why not? And, and what we do with what Mahan and I both do with our connections that we have, let us. So if you have other recruiters out there that you know that you're connected to and you actually have a good reputation, use it. But just put on your subject line, I keep telling this for thousands of years since LinkedIn has been out there, on the subject line, make sure you say, I need your help. <laughs> That's gonna grab their attention faster than anything else and who doesn't wanna help somebody, especially during this time, and, and see also, what they say. So I was, gonna, I was just gonna jump in and say, when you're reaching out and getting those referrals, you wanna be specific and say, hey, listen, this is the role that I found this is the person that that you know I would like to meet with or, or that mm -hmm. is is you know the recruiter on this role or here you know this is the hiring manager. I think when you can be specific, it really helps the refer uh, the the person making the re reference. It, it gives them direction. It gives them guidance. You know, and, and, right. and they know what to do. You know, as opposed to a generalized sort of you know inquiry. Hey, can you introduce me to someone? Or I'm thinking about this role. Um, it's a lot tougher for someone to come in and have to, you know, to get that inquiry and then have to look around and say, well, who's the recruiter and let me reach <laughs> out to them. And I don't know enough about the position. And right. you know, they, they, it's a lot of extra work that you're putting, you're asking somebody to do for you. And, and it, it just puts them in a tough position at the end. Right. Um, quick question for you. So since we have internal and external experience here for someone that was looking for a job, are there different tips for standing out if you're dependent on if you're working with someone on the internal or external end? Would the tips that you give to stand out be different or do you feel like they're very similar? I don't think I could answer that for Mahan because I've never been an internal recruiter and I don't think Mahan could actually answer that because he's never been an external one. So I would hope they'd be different. I really, really would hope. My when I have somebody from, I'm on the outside, my client is 100% responsive to me. Where I would hope, and Mahan, please, please butt in, yeah. his responsibility is for the whole company, even though he's got different rec loads. So it's very different, and there's no right or wrong. It's just very different, and how you correspond, how you relate, and how you treat them are all the same, though. Yeah, and I think that that stays, you know, that the, the way you treat them stays, I think it holds true for, for internally. I think internally, you know, you talk about standing out. Um, you have to remember, I, I think that, you know, the can, as a candidate, you know your background really well, and you need to guide the, the person on the other end. I think an internal recruiter, more often than not, they don't sit in the business, they're not an expert, and so it helps for you to connect the dots for them so that they understand what skills you're bringing, why you're relevant to the role. Um, you know, at the same time, you know, you want to make sure that, that you as a candidate understand what are the important aspects of the role. So you have to carefully read the job description. You have to ask the right questions when you're speaking with the recruiter, when you're talking to the hiring manager. 
uh, the candidate that can distinguish themselves is the one who's going to be able to, and I always use this analogy, you think of it as the candidates on one side of a, of a of kind of a chasm and the job or the hiring manager on the other. And the closer you can bring them, the closer you can bridge the gap, the less of a risk you become in terms of you know hiring that person. Right. So you think, oh, well, you know what? This person is a really good, you know, they're the perfect candidate because the gap, their learning gap is significantly smaller than this other person who, who you know, maybe I don't know enough about them or maybe they didn't explain themselves thoroughly. And, and right. so that perceived gap is significantly larger. And where I come in on the opposite side is, yes, I'm a professional recruiter. My responsibility is to make sure that my candidate that I am representing gives all of their best on that interview. So plug for me, I'm a great prep person. I know how to prep people on an interview and I use their stories, their analogies, their vocabulary when I help them because I don't want them to hire me. I want them to hire that person. But it's super important that you know the questions to ask on an interview, how to ask on the interview, questions to stay away from, how to answer certain questions the right way based on who you are. There is a list of continuations that you don't know. And the only way I can sum up is how to have an interview is have a conversation. Literally just kind of be yourself. And I always kind of give out rules when you're on an interview, video or on the phone or in person, no Jekyll and Hyde, be yourself. Because if Jekyll gets hired and then <laughs> whether having to hide, we don't know, you're gonna get fired the next day. You know, before you get on camera, before you go on an interview, you look in the mirror, you say you look good, you look presentable, and you're comfortable, because that's kind of really good. But mostly, and this sounds really funny, I get so much feedback on this, but have fun. Literally try and have fun on an interview, because it gets a chance for them to see your personality and who you really are. And if they don't like your personality, then you don't really want to go to work for that company. You're absolutely right. You're so right. And, and you know, I'm curious, uh, Jennifer, sorry if I can jump in and ask a quick question, because I think both of us on different sides of the coin have seen those common mistakes. You know, what have you seen from candidates? You know, and I can certainly share what, what I, the mistakes I've seen job seekers make when, when they're coming in. My biggest mistake I think that I see people do, number one, is they interview for themselves and not for the company. When you interview, your tone, your body language, and your mannerism has to be what's in it for the employer not yourself. And then people will go, well, I'm the one, I'm supposed to interview them as well. Yes, you are, but your attitude has to be in it for the employer. They're the ones investing in you. The answers will tell you if you really want to go to work for that company, so don't worry about that. But your mannerism has to be really who you are with a really fun attitude of like, if you hire me, this is your ROI. This is what I'm going to bring to the table. This is the value that I will bring for you. And here's my, my, my number one favorite question that I have everybody ask, and I'm going to give it away to everybody. So watch out, Corey. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. Nobody know. ever asked. And Mahan and I actually talked about this prior yeah. to it, and he loved it. But nobody ever asked on an interview, and it's your turn to ask a question, how can I help? How can I contribute? You ask that question, you have just set the, the tone for your entire interview as a, oh, this person actually cares for my company. They actually care on what they're going to do. And you will see just all of a sudden, the shoulders are going to relax. The person who's speaking with you is gonna all of a sudden feel very 
comfortable understanding you and where you're coming from. I think that's a great tip. I honestly, myself, I, I've never thought to really ask that, but you're right. It does show that you care about the company and the employer and, and who you're working with. It, great and in today's world, that's... I, I loved it, you know, and it's, it's one of those ones, um, it's so funny, you work in this business for so long, you do this job, and then you hear some new, new and insightful ones. And I remember, you know, Jennifer and I talked about it earlier this week, and I was like, wow, that's fantastic. I got I to steal that from you now. Um, well, then let's give plugs where it belongs. So my kids, all, they're all grown and everything else, but they were brought up in this industry, mom working from home and hearing about it the whole nine yards. And uh, probably about 10 or 15 years ago, my daughter's the one who came up with that. She's wow. like, well, how come nobody ever asked, how come I help? You always told me I should ask, how can I help? And she was like seven, eight years old when she just came up with her. Oh, oh And I was just like, my girl. And I've been using it ever since. Wow. So if you think about it, if a seven-year-old wants to hear that, can you imagine what an adult is going to want to hear? Sure. So right. plug to Raya. Good job. You yeah. got your next business partner. There you go. No, no. She wants nothing to do with what I do. <laughs> she's, she's, she's a dog groomer and loves her job. So she's a oh, phenomenal nice. dog groomer. <laughs> she is helping. She's asking them how she can help. Exactly. Exactly. So, but I also kind of think, and I know we're talking a little bit about how you can interview, but I want to turn the table just a little bit because Corey, you had mentioned that your audience is going to be a little bit on the HR side as well. Yes. And I would love to make sure that the HR people who are doing the interviewing actually know how to interview during what we're going through. I because think that's you, a lot of what people want to hear. It's very different now. And you can't ask the same questions. No. And you can't ask with the same attitude. And if you're an HR professional and you're seriously not asking about their home life, their personal life, how they communicate, how they want to communicate, and are they set up to have an office? And what do you need? And my biggest thing with my training with my clients right now is are you making room for the kids? I mean, that's huge right now. And it's gonna take a couple of months for everybody out there. So if you think how come not getting hired, just remember HR professionals and managers right now are trying to figure out how do I actually hire somebody and they have first graders up to, you know, 12th graders and they're at home trying to go to school and being interrupted because they can hear somebody else in the other room with them. And if HR professionals are not asking those questions right now, you're not going to get the person that you want to hire because it shows that you don't care and you have to show that you genuinely care in a very authentic way. Right. You do. And that's what people want right now. They want to feel like someone cares because they need people to care right now. Everyone's going through a rough time. And I don't think it, honestly, I think everyone's going in through a rough time in a different way. So it's not like some people will have it tougher than others. They just have it in a different sense. Yeah, so they have to understand that. Yeah. Exactly. So I'd love to hear what, what are your tips or questions that you suggest that HR professionals ask in these interviews during the during our pandemic that's happening? Um, well, I kind of already mentioned it once. The first one is how do you communicate? That has to be probably the first question 
because are you an IM person? Are you a text person? Are you going to pick up the phone? Are you through Teams? You know, what is your comfort level? And some of these questions, whoever's listening, they can be reversed. They really can. Probably all should be reversed at the same time. And we got down, you know, how can I help? You have to be, and I, I learned this um, by watching a couple of webinars lately, you kind of really have to be transparent when you're interviewing. And when you're, are you structured? When you talk to the person, are your main competencies actually outlined? Your three to five main competencies, does the applicant actually know what they are, what they stand for, and why they are for that position and everything else? The second one, HR professionals, this is huge for you. Do you have a diverse panel of interviewing? Yes. And are you yeah. working on that if you don't? And if you don't, but you can openly say that you are working on it, then you're covered. But if you don't, you need to address it and now you need to figure out why. And at the very tail end, how are you handling debriefs? Mahan and I both can openly say, we get, you know, it's, what is the word? We get um, ghosted. Yeah. I love that word for everything now, like yeah. the 2020 word. We get constantly ghosted from people. We don't know how we interviewed. We don't know what's going on. HR is not giving us feedback. If you're an HR professional, take 45 seconds out of your day and give them that feedback. Good, bad, or indifferent. If you don't know how to debrief somebody, Hit me up. I will teach you how to debrief somebody on an interview. And so will Mahan because both of us done it. You know, you, you really, Jennifer, you touch on something so important that um, that I, I've always believed in. And, and certainly when when I, you know, mentored junior staff or, or even when I had my team, it's that white glove service, right? You, yes. you want to you want to explain, you know, when you talk about structuring your interview, well, one thing I've liked to do, you know, I've always enjoyed doing certainly put into practice is the first thing you know I talk to a candidate I explain what's the structure here's how this interview is going to go here's the process you know here's how many people are in the you know going to interview you here's how many rounds here's when you should expect to hear from us um, and, and then you, you, you stick to it right it, it's it's about having that white glove service it's about also understanding that that as a recruiter as an HR professional you're the first point of contact, you're the primary point of contact, and you're representing your company. So, so how you engage a candidate, how you treat them, that's gonna be there. That's the impression that they, you know, that they have. And even if they don't, if, even if they don't get the job, how you, how you turn them down is just as important as, as you know, if you advance them. And so if, if you spend an hour with a candidate and then shoot them a, a standard, email. Hey, you didn't get no, the job. Thanks. Sorry, yeah. please apply. Yeah. You know, it, it just leaves a bad taste. But if you call them up and you explain, hey, this is, this is, you know, I'm sorry you didn't get the role, but here are the one or two points that, that, that you know, here's why, you know, you didn't make it, but somebody else did. Right. You know, they walk away understanding it and, and, and it, it gives them a sense of, oh, you know what, they, they do care. Um, and, and, you know, you can go back to that person down the road or maybe they'll apply for another job. Um, it, it's really important. And, and one thing that, that recruiters sometimes forget to do is asking the, the hiring manager, well, well, why didn't this person, you know, why aren't you going to advance this person and really pushing them. I think we all have a tendency to not 
want to because it's just, well, you know, they weren't a good cultural fit. Well, no, no, walk me through it, explain it. You know, I'd like to give some feedback. Is there something you can tell the candidate? Um, right. I think those things are really important. I just want to tell a really quick personal story to touch on your bad taste comment because it's so true. I interviewed back in the day with a company and the interview went great, but they ended up not offering me the position. So I interviewed with this, a different company in the same industry. I got the position and within that first year, I was topping the um, company. And so then all of a sudden I get a reach out from their new person in recruiting that specific company, uh, asking if I'd be willing to, you know, do a, another interview. And, and to be honest, what I got from them, it, the rejection was a standard email. It wasn't personalized. It didn't give me any feedback. And I told, I was very honest with the new person in recruiting there. I said, I truthfully, it's not that I'd be against it. I'm more against it because of the way they treated me and the way that I saw that, that they handle their follow-ups after an interview. I mean, whether I got it or not, it would have been nice to feel like a person and not just a number. And, and so I didn't, yeah. I didn't do it for that one reason. You're absolutely And I right. guess the advantage that I have as an individual recruiter is my applicants always know why they didn't get it. Because it's set in my contract with my client that they have to give me feedback. And so that's the advantage of going through an outside recruiter is I actually know why every person did not get that job. But you also, you know, Jennifer, you, you also work with executives, right? So, so those, those all levels. They, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you do all levels. Okay. Sorry. I was going to yeah. say with executives, all recruiters, <laughs> there are very specific and, and, and tangible reasons that you can, that you can identify for, for someone not getting the role, right? And as you sort of get further down, you, you sort of get to the more junior roles. It's, it's a little bit tougher, right? Because it, there's a little bit more of it. Well, you know, I, I, and this is what, what hiring managers have, have sort of said to me in the past. Well, you know, I, you know, I just had a better feeling about this person or, you know, they're, they're you know, the, the ever amorphous cultural fit, they're a better cultural fit, right? right. You know, as a recruiter, it's as an internal recruiter, it's important to, to really press and say, okay, well, what is it about that? You know, what, what is it that you liked about this one versus, you know, the person that you're negating? And, and it's really important when you, now that we're bringing in things like bias and, 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 and inclusivity, right? You want to make sure that it's not, you're not sort of looking at the cultural aspect just because that person went to the same schools as everybody on your team or they played, you know, you know, they played specific sports. Right. And I say this coming from- We had that conversation. <laughs> well, coming from a trading background where when I was working at an investment bank um, on the desk, a lot of times it's, oh, well, I really like, you know, people that played, you know, team sports because that shows that they, you know, they really understand how this business operates. And it's, well, well, yeah, that could be the case, but there are other activities that promote that type of teamwork. You exactly. know, what about somebody that's in a band? What about somebody that's, you know, was in an, you know, in the orchestra or, you know, did it was part of a big project. You know, there are other aspects where someone operates as a team. And so you don't want to go down that narrow path. And you're starting to see that more as companies look at what, what I would say are non-traditional candidates for, um, for these front frontline roles. Yeah. There's a lot of different, there's a lot of different avenues, HR professionals and hiring managers. They have a lot on their plate right now. 
they did before, but now it's even worse. Yeah. I mean, we have, not only do you have to worry about diversity and inclusion, you shouldn't have to worry about it, you should have it, number one, hint, hint. But I'm an advocate for military, transitioning military, military spouses. That's my pay it forward, and that's what I deal with. And for the last couple of years, they actually kind of got good treatment. And now I'm trying to tell them, I'm like, you're not going to get that special treatment anymore because now employers just need to hire regardless. Right. And we have to remind them that you can't hire just regardless. You have to hire the right person for the right reasons. So as HR professionals, you really need to go back and kind of look at what you've done before because there is no such thing as the normal. It's an abnormal. And if you go back to the normal, you're screwed, plain and simple. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to put out there for you. So... Well, and I think also just as, as HR professionals, you know, you, you talked a little bit earlier about structuring your interviews. And I think it's really important that if you're the recruiter, if you're the person that's driving the search process, that's driving the interview process, you know, you talk to your panel and you, you find out, you know, and you really think about who's going to ask what, you know, who's going to test on what competencies, who's going to ask, you know, focus on what areas, what questions and, 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 um, and what everybody is doing so that everyone has a purpose as opposed to having a candidate retell their life story five or six times in a row. Or ask, have them ask the same question for five people in a row yeah. really quick. I had that one time. It was an all day interview and I knew it was going to be an all day with lunch in between and everything yeah. else. And everybody asked me the exact same question. And it was, how do you like to be a program manager? Yeah. And I'm like, I'm a recruiter. I am not a program manager. And by the fourth time, I finally had to stop the person and say, why are you asking me a question that I don't even do? Well, it's on the list of things that I'm supposed to ask you. And I'm like, then you don't know your audience because I'm not a program manager. I'm a recruiter. Let me tell you the questions you should be asking me. And then let's kind of go for that and see what happens. So spot on, Mahan. You have to know your audience. You have to have the questions. And if it's not going to be in a panel and it's going to be individually, make sure everybody's asking different questions. Please don't do that to your candidate. Yeah. Right? And, and I don't know if you've seen this, Jennifer. I'm, I'm certainly curious. I think we sort of alluded to this um, in our earlier conversation. But now, because of the importance of, of understanding what the strengths and weaknesses of candidates are and, and you know, also to, to maybe help compensate for the fact that, that you're not sitting in the room across the table, you know, we're starting to see firms do use a lot more of those uh, personality tests, those assessment tests like Hogan or Wonderlick or Burke. And I don't know if your candidates are, are experiencing that. I know certainly in my last role, that was one of the things that, that, um, that we did put into place uh, was an assessment test, especially for the mid to senior level, um, you know, hires that were coming in so that we, right. you know, part of it is an understanding how, you know, the fit to the role, but also you know, from a talent development, talent management, talent development perspective of what areas we can, you know, you can help an employee develop to, to make them more rounded. And, you know, you talk about career progression and career development. That's the thing that candidates are looking for now, um, probably more so than comp, I would say, is, you know, what can I do here and where can I go? Mm -hmm. um, so, I'm, you know, I'm wondering if you see that from, from your side of the table. Uh, always, to be honest with you. Yeah. And assessments, there's a whole, there's a book on assessments and you're pro con and you can be in between. I see assessments work for the majority of how to train that person because this is the type of person that they are. Mm -hmm. Sales capabilities on assessments are good 
for that reason. And any other type of personality, if they need to know how smart they are, then there's Wonderlic. If they need to know how good they are, then there's the, um, the DISC. So there are assessments out there, how you use them, use them the right way. Employers don't use them to waste your time. It's expensive. And some people just don't test well, but they're amazing individuals. Yeah. So take that to heart. I think it's part of a process. I think it's, it's, it's something that, that you have to include as part of it, but not overweight it. Yeah, exactly. You know, I really want to touch on in-person interviews right now. Uh, from both sides, because I had a lot of people that are really anxious to hear your opinions on that. Job seekers especially, are, some of them have been asked to come in for in-person interviews and they're not comfortable, but then they're also worried that they're gonna lose the possible opportunity by not going in, especially if it's a job that, that can be handled remotely. And then on the HR end, you know, how do you hire someone where eventually you might need them coming into an office or into a facility without meeting them in person. So I'd love to hear I've had that happen starting in uh, end of March to May. I've actually had my clients say, this is how we would like to do it. What do you think? And it's more of the individual. If we know for sure that they're going to come back into the office when they're ready, then ask them. Are you comfortable coming into the office? There's masks, we're all gonna be six to 10 feet apart in the room. Is that gonna be awkward for you, are you okay? And as long as they say, but you're not okay with that right now and you wanna do it over video, not a problem. But as long as I know that you're capable coming in once the, the ban is lifted. So you have to really ask that person and then you cannot judge a person by saying yes or no. There are people out there who will think, and this is again the permission side of it, if I don't go into the office, I'm not gonna get the job, but I'm scared for my life if I do. You have to be honest with the person that's interviewing you. If you wanna come into the office, you wear your mask, you make sure it's, you know, everything is good, then you go. And if you're not comfortable, you tell them. I am not comfortable right now. I'm at a high risk. I have kids. I have older parents. I have a husband or a wife. But once I get the job and once we're allowed to come back into the office, I'm all in. So it's not cut and dry, but it is cut and dry. You have to make and, a decision it, for yourself. And I think from, from a corporate perspective, you know, I think you, you have to understand that, that you're, you're creating a risk, you're creating a legal potential legal issue if you're making someone come in. I know that there are hiring managers that feel would feel more comfortable, especially as they look at more senior level hires within their team. You know, you know, if the role is, 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 um, you know, it's higher in seniority, it's more impactful. They do want to sit across the table mm -hmm. from that individual. Um, you know, I, my, my comment certainly early, in the process was is you know maybe you save it for the last candidate when you're or, or if you you're down to the final two I think right. you need to ask them if they're willing to do it and maybe it's not in the office maybe it's at a Starbucks if you really need to get in front of that person uh, or, or or another sort of venue if you're if you're not comfortable doing it as a video interview um, and it's also just important to understand you know you know maybe if you have to do it over over Zoom. Well, well, make sure you, you know, you, you sort of have those questions, those issues, those things that, those concerns that you have, and you, you, you know, you, you be honest 
with that individual, you know, because because that's yeah. going to happen. I mean, at the end of the day, we all have to be flexible, and, and this is an unusual situation. And, and you know, maybe you extend the hire out. And that's something I've heard before. Is is yeah. Hiring managers have said, you know what, I really need to, I need to see this person. I need to see how they interact with my team. I need to see how they are, you know, across the table. Maybe we make this higher in 2021 when we can get back into the office. Maybe it's not as important. Yeah. Well, I really hope that people take the time to even reach out or comment on this post to directly ask you more questions because there's got to be more in. And I think that this is very helpful to all the job seekers out there and HR professionals that are interviewing. But I really do hope they take the time to reach out to both of you to, to really get more information because there's so much more. And we don't, we can only fit so much into 30 minutes. <laughs> no, absolutely. Oh, well, thank you. And yes, my name is out there on LinkedIn. If anybody has any questions, um, all of my information is on my LinkedIn profile. And um, so thank you, Corey. This has been fun. I yep. have been doing this for years. And if you're an HR professional, have questions, hit me up. And if you're looking, hit me up because I work both sides. <laughs> Perfect. And, and I have all my information on, on, on LinkedIn as well. It's obviously just, just my name. And feel, feel free to reach out. Uh, more than happy to help or, or just lend a, lend a perspective. And he's looking for a new position, everybody who's out there. And this guy is good. He's a senior talent acquisition manager. So I plug him. Hire him. Go hire him. Thank you so much. That you're, you're too kind, Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Corey. Hi, everyone. We're back doing a touch base. It's been about four months since I spoke with Jennifer and Mahen. And now that things are changing because of the pandemic, I wanted to touch base with them to kind of see what they're seeing is changing with the interviewers and interviewees as far as we are, some places are virtual, some areas of the country are starting to transition back to in-person. Um, and I'm gonna pass it over to you too. Let's hear, you know, what are you starting to see now that there are places doing in-person, there are places that aren't. Jennifer, you wanna start? Um, for the last couple of months, I have seen both. I have run into applicants who do not want to go in regardless, and they're willing to give up an opportunity to interview wow. because the company is not looking to go remote at all because of the situation and what they work in. And I've had companies that are open to both. And when I have clients or who are confused on it, I tell them, always start with a Zoom. Why waste anybody's time coming in if you don't like them or taking that you know, risk? So I have seen both, and I think applicants as well as employers are open to both. And I think you have to be at this point in time, safely. Yes. Um, you, you know, in, in the start, I guess in the start of the fall, um, there was a bit more, for me, questions. Employers would ask, you know, questions of, of was I comfortable coming in for, for an in-person meeting. Um, as the fall went on and as, as really, I think in, in the Northeast, I would say the numbers went up of, of positive cases, really that, that option sort of went away. Um, it was all Zoom interviews, all phone interviews, um, you know, and I think right up to now, I think that there is certainly a, the sense I got is, is now that, that we're sort of in January, February, you know, we've turned a bit of a corner and, and I, I would anticipate that, 
that people would go back into it for in-person meetings. But I, my sense is, is that, that probably they would have to be vaccinated, to be honest. I think that that's probably going to be a big driver of it, certainly up in this area where the yeah. case has been really high. Um, you know, certainly a lot of my colleagues who are working have, have said that their employers are not planning on having them go back to the office until, um, until more people have been vaccinated. And I think it's different because you're in New York. Yep. I'm in Seattle. And Corey, you're in Texas. Where are you at? Well, I'm usually in New York, but right yeah. this moment, I'm in Tennessee. Tennessee, that's right. I knew you were moving around somewhere with the tea. Um, <laughs> Couldn't could keep I'm up with you. Somewhere else. <laughs> well, it's also a three. I mean, the, the New York tri-state region, it encompasses three states. So I think that's also part of the, the concern because you could have people who live in, you know, New Jersey, some even coming as far as, you know, Northeast Pennsylvania, um, that that are coming into the city for work, and, and then obviously Connecticut. So I, I think a larger sort of dispersion, uh, you know, geographically, and so I think that that probably adds to it. It does. I uh, was just going to say that. Also, I feel like there are some interviewees out there. I know you mentioned Jennifer that some people have turned down opportunities yeah. for an interview, but do you feel like that? I mean, I feel like that would hurt their chances of getting a job if someone else is willing to come in in person and they're not. Do you think that it hurts them? I mean, hundred percent, but they know that. Yeah. And then but, you know, when I, when I advertise and when I put things on LinkedIn, um, everything that I've had to do is say remote, non-remote work. And my title says non-remote. And so they'll still get back to me. It's like, well, isn't there any flexibility? And I'm like, what, what part of the LinkedIn did you not understand the message? This is a hundred percent non-remote role. Right. You don't really want to hire them anyways if they can't read a message. So but and I think also just from from a, a candidate perspective, if you're uncomfortable and, and an employer is pressing you to do something that you're uncomfortable with, they're also that might just signal to you, hey, maybe this isn't the right place. Exactly. Um, I've had a, I had a, a friend of mine who who I worked with who was in a very similar situation and she said, you know, that, that she was feeling the pressure um, to go in and, and meet in person. And, and you know, mm -hmm. she had extenuating circumstances dealing with, you know, you know things, things on the home front where she was worried about a high risk situation. And sure. you know, she said that's, that's to, to her, that became a cultural issue where if they're pressing now, what happens once this, this pandemic has passed? Right. And I think everybody needs to have a choice. And when I talk to certain people, they said, I, I'm not comfortable going in. And then like, thank you for letting me know that don't go in, you know, and the employer understands and the employer was very understanding and saying, I don't have a choice. I need them to come in because of what the company did and the position that they were looking for, right. they had to be on site and it made sense for them to be on site, you know, and the whole thing was compliant COVID hundred percent. I mean, probably even more so because of the situation, my new client that I'm working with right now, it's flexible. For training purposes, they have to come in. But once that's over, it's going to be driving, you know, flexible coming in and out. And this employer understands that. So my biggest driving force that I asked them, I'm like, have you gotten any better about onboarding? Because the last person they hired from me started in April. Yeah, well, and that's a good point. So, I think that a lot of places are, you know, they might be okay with doing interviews virtually, but they're struggling with how to train virtually. So I think that's where a lot of people that are interviewing also need to keep 
they need to keep that mindset open of, I might have to go in to learn how to do this job and then I can be remote, uh, but yeah. not willing to go in at all, I think can really hurt your chances. But what are your suggestions as far as for the interviewer? You know, how can they get that message across that they might need you in there for training, but this might could be a remote job going forward after that? Or is that something they should even announce, you know, in 100%. The- if you don't, I mean, we've got a perfect example. Man has been out there interviewing. Yeah. So he has seen both things. But if you're an employer looking to hire right now and you don't put it out there right up front and you're hiding it, then who's going to want to work for you knowing that, okay, if you're hiding this, what else are you hiding from me? It shows the colors of the, you know, the employer shows the true, there's a word I'm trying to get. The employer is showing true colors of who they really are if that's how they think they should get the right person in there. And they're going to hire that person and then that person's going to figure it out in a couple of months and guess it's going to be looking all over again. <laughs> you're right. You're right. And I think from a candidate perspective, you can, you can explain your situation, you know, cause I, cause I think that if you're open and you're honest and, and, and it can be as simple as something, you know, I've got, you know, my, my parents, my in-laws living with me or yeah. taking care of them and they're at high risk. And, and so I can't, afford to take a chance and come in right now because if I get sick, I get exposed, they might potentially get exposed. And that could be, you know, and it can be fatal, right? And, and, and so that's, you know, those are the things that that you have to be open and, and you have to be honest. And I think employers are willing and, and, and understanding because I am certain that every one of these employers has somebody who is in a similar position or at least knows of someone who they is, have to, has they that. have and to, and it doesn't have to be parents. It could be a child. It could be, you know, it could be a spouse, you know, it could be even yourself, right. You, you know, it's somebody who's diabetic or somebody who has some kind of a respiratory problem, you, you know, or, you know, those are the things that those medical complications can, can certainly, um, right. you know, create that problem. And, and, and if anything, this pandemic, I, I think from both sides, has taught us that that work in business can still move forward with flexibility. And I think as we continue to move forward and as people continue to get vaccinated, which is great, um, it's gonna open up even more. And then we're gonna start seeing people wanting to come back to work as well as people wanting to stay remote and then working with the employers and saying, what is your give and take? And do you know your give and take? You know, I just posted actually today, so it's kind of a good timing, Corey, on this question, is I actually did all of the questions of who, what, where, when, and how to employers, do you know how to do this? Do you have the answers before you actually hire? Because if you don't, then you have no business hiring anybody. Right. Until you have these answers. And it's really hard to get it across to everybody saying, saying that. And are you going to do it remote and non-remote? And when the door's open, what are you going to do? What are your procedures? What do you have in place? And I think as person, someone who's going to an interview, if an employer can't answer those questions, that's also concerning and would make me not want to take a, a job with them because there's so many places that have figured everything out. And before you take on a job, I feel like you want to know what's in store for the future plan-wise as far as COVID. Exactly. That's the biggest mistake some of these employers have made is they don't have a plan, yet they're still trying to recruit and get people on board with working with them well and that's when you get recruiters like Mahan and I who understand it all 
yeah. and tell them what they have to do to get it the right way. I agree. You know, that's, I that's why you hired us because we actually know what we're talking about. <laughs> you had a question for me. Sorry, it's also a telltale sign to the market that, uh, or at least the candidate, that if you don't have all those questions answered, the likelihood of you putting that job on hold is, is greater, right? Mm -hmm. if, you know, if they're not answering, if you can't answer those questions, it, it's almost that, you know, to me, two, three weeks from now, you might come back and say, hey, listen, we're putting this on hold right now because we need to rethink this, or there could be some kind of a structural change. Right. With position, you know, as you're trying to recruit and that, you know, that's also a tough message uh, right. for the candidate to hear. So I guess we can call out to all of the employers who are listening to this right now, right? Read Jennifer's little post that said who, what, where, when, and how do you have these answers before you hire? And if not, reach out and I will guide you on how to do this. <laughs> Jennifer, what was the question you had for Mahen? Well, because when we first started, Mahan was in the midst of looking for a new position. And this, I mean, if you guys don't know, this guy is really gifted. Um, I've checked him out. He's really gifted on what he does. The, the but, check is in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I want to know for all the listeners who are out there looking from a seasoned professional such as yourself on the interviewing, what did you learn about yourself that you never knew before when you answered asinine questions? You know, I think the thing that, that um, I, I think the one thing I've learned about myself is, 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 is sort of who I am as, as a candidate, what, you know, what's really interesting to me. I think that um, a lot of times when, you know, when the market is good and you're getting offers and you just sort of take it and, you're not thinking about, you know, a lot of times you're, you're looking at some very narrow reasons for moving, whether it's, hey, you know, this is an opportunity to advance my career or more money or something. But for me, what's, what's been interesting is I've had a chance to take a step back and say, what kind of a firm do I want to work for? What kind of a culture am I looking for? And I put that first as opposed to everything else. And I thought, and I think that, that what I've learned is if you put that first in terms of what type of an environment, what type of a culture, what type of people do you want to work with? I think everything else will follow. Um, that's been the big takeaway in, gosh, I guess it's eight, nine months now um, that, that I've learned in, in all of this. And, and it really, you know, this, 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 is, this pandemic is definitely tested me, it's tested anyone else that, that's caught in, in sort of the riptide um, in terms of, of what they want, what they're looking for. And, and also it's taught, you know, it's taught me what I don't want and, and what I'm, you know, what becomes non-negotiable, you know, what, what, you. Yeah, you know what's, what's going to say, hey, you know what, that job's not worth it. No, no amount of money is going to, you know, it's not going to make me happy. No. And I think you can ask the same thing for all the applicants that are out there who are looking for employment right now you need to ask yourself those same questions, who, what, where, when, and how, and why of the job that I am really looking for. And if you don't have those answers, you need to find them so you can ask questions when you are interviewed so it aligns for what you really want. Yeah. And, and the old adage is if you don't know who you are, then you can't find a job. And I think that when you figure those, those things out and you do the research on a company, your, your interest definitely shines through. You know, it's, it's going to be evident. It, it's really hard to sort of fake that, um, that genuine excitement mm -hmm. um, that you might have for a job, for a company, 
for a particular role. Um, and, and when you do the homework and you start sort of peeling, you know, kind of peeling the layers of the onion back and, and you, you sort of see it and it's like, wow, this is a great story. This is something that I'm genuinely excited about. And, and you know, and, and you start sort of doing that balancing act, right? You know, what, what would I, you know, what, what would it take to kind of get me in there? And, and, and you know, what am I willing to give up? And, and, and you sort of do that, um, do that trade-off. And, and um, I, I think that's the interesting part of it. And, and you know, also look, not, not everyone might have that time to go through that, that, that thought process because for some, you know, you need to get a job immediately and you just sort of take what you can get. And you can sort of stretch it out a little bit more. And, and you know, like myself, it, it's a bit of a balancing act, right? Because you, you don't want to stay sort of too far out of the market and miss opportunities, but at the same time, you want to make sure you find the right one. But I think that's a good transition, what you said at the very end, to find a job right away, um, to remind people that it's okay to find a job right now. You don't have to go after the career, but go after the job. And then when things open up, then you can find your career. And there's more, we need more people who want just a job. Do a good job, go to work every day, and then come home. If we actually had more people like that, you'd be surprised on the different types of employees that would be opening up. You know, Jennifer, I got a question. It's not for everybody. I, I have a question for you, Jennifer, just from your perspective, and certainly when you advise, from your seat when you're advising candidates, if, you know, if I'm looking for that balance between, hey, I really need to find a job today because I got to pay my mortgage versus, you know, I want to build something towards a career, what would you recommend if I just had to take the job, right? You know, would you, you know, what would you say? to someone, you know, someone in that position who's just taking the job, you know, how do you, how do you get the most out of it? By doing your best. Yeah. A lot, okay. What your question is, you already answered it. And a lot of people think too much. Mm -hmm. How do I do this? How do I do that? I know it sounds really, you just do it. <laughs> if you need a job and there's one that's available, I mean, don't understand there's not jobs left and right right now. And I get that. But if there's a readily job available to you, a barista working in the library, working at QFC or anything else like that, some of these companies are paid 25 bucks an hour for a job, yeah. then that's what you do. Yeah. And if you're still looking for a career when you come home, you do that balance. Yeah. There's so absolutely nothing wrong with getting a job. Sure. I have a good example. So I just recently spoke with someone in HR they're so used to being the HR director, the head of HR, that that was all they were interested in. But most of the positions, all the positions they had run into that they were offered or that were open were HR generalist roles. So it was kind of like a decision they had to make where they were talking to me about it. Should I just take a generalist role? You know, but I don't want to. I want to wait until I find a director role. Well, I think it comes back to what you're saying, both of you, that so you might just need to go ahead and take the job right now, be in that generalist role. And the other thing that I feel is it may not be the job that you want in that moment, but who's to say that taking just a job to make money won't get, move you into the position you are dreaming of having one day. I mean, no. lots of, I think a lot of people are forgetting the fact that you usually have to work your way up. So even if you worked your way up at one company, that doesn't mean that you can jump right into another company at the top. You might have to start over and work your way up again, which goes back to just take a job. I mean, there's so many, yeah. There's so many different aspects. Sorry, Mahan, but um, there's so many pros and cons on what you just said, Corey. It's unbelievable. 
because an HR generalist who's finally been a generalist and she's looking now, or he is looking now for a director position or a manager position, right? Why should they have to take a step back? They've been there for 10 years. It's their time to climb that corporate ladder. Right. During a pandemic, am I, am I cutting myself short? Am I really doing myself a disservice if I'm taking a step back? Am I belittling myself? That's and then you just have to say, if you can afford to hold off, then you hold off. If you can't afford to hold off, then you suck it up. You take the job, you make the best of it. And then you continue, you continue to look for other roles. It sounds harsh. And you could also look for opportunities within the firm that you, you know, you work with, right? I think oh, yeah. you go in there with a set plan of here's what I want to get out of this job. You know, even if it's, even if the underlying, or at least certainly the number one reason is, Hey, listen, I just got to, you know, I just got to pay mortgage, pay my rent, get put food on my table, but you can still go into that opportunity and say, well, here are the skills I want to develop and let me see if there are other opportunities for me to, to learn, to grow and, and, and to, to sort of diversify your career, if you will. And, as, and from an employer's perspective, if they're smart enough to say, I know you might be quote unquote overqualified, but I'm going to utilize your talents as best I can. I'm going to keep you happy until I can't keep you happy anymore. Right. And that's just a smart employer. And if they're doing a really good job, that employer will just you know build that trajectory or understand where they're coming from or just put them on a contract and just say, okay, let's make you a contract employee so I can still utilize your talents and allow you still to find another position. Right. And I think that's where a lot of people are, they're kind of missing their chance because they're, it's a pride thing. They don't want to take a step down, but it, I don't think there's anything wrong with going into an interview saying, I have been in a director role for past X amount of years. So that's more of what I'm interested in, but I'm willing to take on this generalist role, you know, for now in the hopes that one day I can move up. I think that that's very respectable to see it someone with the character that can take take a few steps back into a role they are overqualified for just to show that they're willing to put in the work to move back up again. And again, you're 100% right on that with a lot of pros and cons that follow that up. So what would be the cons? Pardon? What would be the cons? Your ego has been demolished. That's true. <laughs> Trying to go to work and praising the job that you're doing. And every time you go to work, like I'm better than this, I'm better than this. And sucking up your ego to feed your family is extremely hard to do. Yeah. And the person who can do it is going to go further in life, but it's not necessarily the thing that they're going to want to do. You're so, right. I mean, it's just like, I'm working with a person right now who's been a customer service manager for what, eight to 10 years now. And she actually is stepping back and wanting to become just an individual for her own purpose. So now they're looking to find another manager. My question to her right away was, how is your ego gonna take that? Cause you actually have to train your soon to be manager who is going to be managing you, knowing that you're training this person how to do the job that you've done. That's and it was, she had to take a lot of personal insight to do that. But can you also imagine the person who gets that job? Yeah, that's how am I How am I supposed to fill these shoes? So it's a careful balance on everything that we're talking about. And, and we saw a lot of this in the financial services crisis, you know, and, in, in, you know, in, in sort of the early, the mid, um, you know, 2000s. And, and, and one of the big things I saw were, you, you know, you'd see managing directors who, who led large businesses who lost their jobs, 
you know, their company went under or mm -hmm. their company took a massive hit and they were, they were effectively pushed out and, and they had to take jobs that were, you know, from a corporate title lower, um, from a comp perspective lower. <laughs> and, and a lot of that was redefining, you know, having to redefine themselves over, you know, over a couple of years. But the one challenge is that, that, you know, certainly if you were at sort of this level, and you had to go to this level, you might not, it might take you a little while to get back up to, to where you were from a comp perspective. And, and right. that's on Wall Street, you know, that's in financial services. But, um, you know, I, I fully believe, I, I think if you, if you, if you're thoughtful and strategic about the opportunities and the roles you take on, um, you can, you know, you, it can be additive, you know, to your, to your ego is, yeah. Ego is what it is, and it's what you make of it that yeah. makes the driving force between the employer side as well as the applicant side. I want to bring up a point and see what your thoughts are on it. So this actually came up on a different episode on a totally different topic, but I think it's very relevant here too, is I think that a lot of employers and people searching for jobs are under this misconception that well, I think employers right now are under this misconception that anyone's lucky to get any job they can right now because there's so many people losing jobs. And then there's a lot of employees out, people looking for jobs that feel the same way. But in reality, if you look at it from another perspective, there are so many businesses closing, laying off people that there's actually, I feel, I feel like there's more competition now than there was before because all those businesses that closed now all of those employees are going to need jobs all of the people that were laid off are now going to need jobs there are probably in fact more people looking that are very very qualified if not overqualified for positions that are open right now than ever before so that mentality of you're just lucky to get anything i offer you or i'm just lucky to get anything that's open yeah, I mean, I know it can be a struggle for some and it, you should take something if you need to make money, but I don't think employers should have that mindset of oh, offering this person a job. They're just lucky to get something right now because I think it's in fact the opposite. Opposite, They have a lot of opportunity right now. And a lot of the people that are searching is not because they were fired because of their quality of work or their abilities. It was because the business was no longer there. So it's, it's I just- That's a COVID layoff. Yeah. yeah, it's put a lot of qualified, very it's, good, successful people out there that are, you know, able to take on a new position that probably would have never left if they didn't have to. And that's where interviewing the right way now and a different way than what you used to interview comes into play. And I'm going to do, and I normally don't do this on podcasts, but I'm going to do a shameless plug. If you hire a recruiter and you tell them what you're looking for, you let that that recruiter come through all that and really skim off the top and really go through all of the fluff. So you're not inundated by 500 resumes and, oh, this resume looks great, but. Yeah. So when you hire somebody like the hand and you hire somebody like myself, that's our job is to get through that fluff, to get through all of that individual, like I deserve it, I deserve it, I deserve it. And that's where an employer really has to come up with smarter questions and different questions in order to get the person that they're looking for so they don't lose them in six months. Because as soon as we start opening up and opening up by 2023, if all goes well, I'm knocking on wood, we're gonna be back to where we almost were before, okay? We're ready for that. 
However, employers are going to be even in a worse hole if they hire poorly. Because when this market opens up again, all these really good people that they hire and they're not being treated the right way, guess who's going to leave them right away? Yes, exactly. I mean, look, it's definitely a buyer's market right now for employers. I think the, you know, rather than trying to get a good candidate on the cheap, I think it's an opportunity for a lot of these companies to think about where they want to be six months, a year, two years from now, what skills are needed and finding those people right now, because you can get people in with the skills that you might need down the road. If you're trying to grow a business, if you're trying to expand into a new market, if you're trying to develop a new product, you know, those people are out there and they're very good people out there who can help get you to that position. Um, that's certainly my thought. You know, I, I've seen a lot of really good and, and, and highly qualified people, really talented people who are currently out in the market, really not obviously through no fault of their own, but just from, from, you know, the businesses they were in, the firms they were in shutting down, having to, to cut, you know, to having to, to change the way they do business. And, and so I, I think it's an opportunity for a lot of these companies to really, um, you know, kind of get themselves further than before. 